Deuteronomy 8, verses 6 to 18. Moses said to them, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This is the word of the Lord. When I lived in Michigan, it was always Thanksgiving that made me the most homesick for Canada. Because all the other holidays are basically the same between Canada and the United States. Christmas and Easter are celebrated on the same day and uh, celebrated much the same way. Even our civic holidays, Canada Day and Independence Day, share a long weekend, and both are celebrated with parades and fireworks and barbecues. But Thanksgiving is different. Here we celebrate Thanksgiving on the second Monday of October, and in the States, it's the third Thursday of November. We celebrate with pumpkins and corn mazes and craft fairs. And in the States, a lot of people would spend Thanksgiving Day getting their Christmas tree with their family. We are still very much in the thick of fall, while in the States, we always had to hustle on the Friday after Thanksgiving to turn over the sanctuary decorations to get ready for Advent. It's just different. And so every year, October would roll around and I would start to miss home. <laughs> and sometimes I could go home for the weekend and celebrate here. Other times though, I just brought Canadian Thanksgiving to Michigan. I would invite friends over, I would make a, a big meal, I would go to a winery, I would go for a hike, I would do all of the things that I associated with Thanksgiving. I would essentially practice my Canadianness, and so remember who I am. Remembering is something we often associate with recall, with knowledge of facts. 
right? We go for our driver's test thinking, boy, I sure hope that I remember all of the rules of the road. When we get older, we be maybe become anxious about not being able to re remember all of the details of a good story. When I went through my classical exam before becoming ordained, I sent my aunt, who is also a pastor, a panicky text saying, what if I forget something really simple and straightforward, like the fruit of the Spirit? And she texted me back and said, don't worry, just remember, there are three one-syllable, three two-syllable, and three three-syllable fruit of the Spirit. Did you know this? I did not. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're welcome. <laughs> I have never forgotten them since that, and it came up in my classical examination, and she just sat there smiling. Right, that little rule about the syllables helps us to remember. We do a lot of things to help us remember. We leave sticky notes on the, the bathroom mirror so that we remember to run a particular errand in the morning. We practice piano every day for 30 minutes so we remember how to play it. And when we need to tap into our Canadian identity again, we remember who we are by eating dry turkey in October. And so remembering is, in a way, its own practice. We actively remember things so that we don't forget. This is what Moses is telling the people of Israel to do in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember and do not forget. The book of Deuteronomy is one really long sermon given by Moses to the people of Israel just as they are about to cross into the Promised Land. For 40 years, the Israelites have wandered around the desert, but finally, finally, they can see the glistening hills of Canaan on the horizon, and they know that the land of plenty is just the other side of the river. Only Moses isn't going with them. Like all of the Israelites that started in Egypt, Moses isn't allowed into the Promised Land. The same lack of faith that kept the people wandering for 40 years is also cause for God to deny Moses' entry into the land. So on the cusp of this new chapter in the life of God's people, Moses is closing out the last chapter with one final sermon. And his sermon could be summed up with one phrase, remember and do not forget. He starts his sermon in Deuteronomy 1 with a recounting of how God had led the people through the wilderness. He reminds them of their rebellion and of God's just punishment, but also of God's faithfulness in leading the people and providing for the people. He repeats the Ten Commandments, the law they had been given at Sinai. And then he looks forward, and so we come to chapter 8. You are about to enter a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. 
a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. This land is the complete opposite of what they have known the last 40 years. Deserts are not known for their water sources. There were no streams and brooks and gushing springs in the wilderness. The people were entirely reliant on God for their water, which he caused to burst forth from rocks. And there aren't a lot of crops that grow in the wilderness. So in the desert, the people were entirely reliant on God for their food, which he gave them by way of manna, which appeared on the ground each morning. And so understandably, the Israelites are rather excited about this land of pomegranates and honey. I don't think Phil Vischer was all that far off when he imagined this moment in the VeggieTales movie, Josh and the Big Wall, and if you know this, we're going to have a sing-along here, where a bunch of vegetables sing, while in the promised land, oh, it'll be so grand, we'll have our fill from the grill as much as we can stand, it'll be so great, oh, I can hardly wait, because we're going to the promised land. The people are excited. Now you will have that song stuck in your head all day. <laughs> Again, you're welcome. The people are excited. Understandably so, 40 years is a long time. But Moses has a word of caution for the Israelites. Yes, you are off to a marvelous place. But when you have eaten and are satisfied, remember and do not forget. Remember who it was who led you to this goodness in the first place. Moses knows how easy it is to forget God. In the wilderness, when the people were given these incredible signs of God's provision for them, they still turned their backs on God. How much easier will it be for them to forget about God when they think they don't need God anymore? Because that's what happens, isn't it? When we're desperate, facing a, a crisis of health or conflict or needing to make a really important decision, we go to God pretty easily. We ask that God would provide. We ask for God to bring peace, to heal, to lead, and to guide. And then we can, we can point to how God came alongside us, how he strengthened and held us, how he never left our side. But when life's coming up roses, well, we're, we're pretty sure that we did that. We worked hard. We made the right decisions. We invested wisely. We connected with the right people. And here is our lovely life to show for it. Who needs God when the going gets good? Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher, and he wrote an absolute tome of a book called A Secular Age. And in that book, he asks the question, how did we move from a society where belief in God is unchallenged and indeed unproblematic to a society in which belief in God is understood to be one option among others 
and frequently not the easiest option to embrace. And such a belief in God has been replaced, he says, with, for really the first time in history, a purely self-sufficient humanism, accepting no final goals beyond human flourishing, nor any allegiance to anything else beyond this flourishing. This is what he says defines a secular society. And there are a lot of factors that have led over time to this secularization of society. But a big factor that Taylor talks about is the Reformation. Two things are going on in the Reformation that open the door to secularism. First, we close the gap of righteousness between religious leaders and everyone else, right? The reformers emphasized rightly the priesthood of all believers. The butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker are doing just as much for the kingdom of God as the priests and monks are. We aren't all of us just waiting for heaven, for life to be better in our work God's kingdom can be realized here and now as we partner with God. And the second thing that happens is that the means of grace are decentralized. God's grace isn't only accessible through the sacrament of confession, say, or through the, the Eucharistic host, right? That would be putting God's power under human control. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, that we receive God's grace, not through what the reformers called the magic of the old religion, the specific rites and rituals that you had to do. Now, as a reformed pastor, I am on board with these two moves. But something unintentional starts to happen as a result of this. Slowly, over many centuries, the world becomes disenchanted. The transcendent, the divine, the sacred is brought down into our world, right? Is made accessible, which is not a bad thing. But as we all turn our work towards making the world a better place, we shift our, our view from eternity, we start to lose our sense of the divine the otherliness of God, and people start to think, well, maybe we don't need God after all. Life does seem to be improving. We make progress in technology and healthcare and in politics, and all of that without really the direct involvement of the church. So maybe we don't need the church's God. Now that is a really quick and simplistic summary of about 500 years of history. But I think it's a compelling argument. And it helps us understand where we are today, living in a society, at least in the Western world, where most people have forgotten about God. And where even in the church, it can be easy to forget about God. It's easy to think that we are doing pretty okay all on our own. Except, of course, that everything, all of these things, everything we have, 
is a gift. The ability to make wise decisions. The family we were born into. The natural resources around us. God doesn't just provide for us in crisis. God provides for us every day through the very ordinary things of life. So while it is a good thing that we, we don't have so much of a divide anymore between the sacred and the ordinary things, between religious life and regular life, the danger is that as we go about regular life, we forget the sacred altogether, that we forget God, that we forget that all is gift. So we need practices that help us remember so we don't forget. And Moses gives the Israelites a practice so they won't forget. And it's a pretty simple one. He tells them to be thankful. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's it. Take time to praise God for everything he has given you. Take time to be thankful. After your meals, after you go for a walk in the warm fall sunshine, after you put a child to bed, after chasing your dog around the backyard, after a cup of coffee in the morning, give thanks. So that in the midst of all of the goodness of ordinary life, you orient yourself towards the giver. So you remember where it all comes from. So you don't become proud. So you don't forget God. Remember and do not forget. A few weeks ago I said that all Christians are called to be storytellers. In a world full of bad news, we are called to bear witness to the continued presence and goodness of God. And sometimes we think that those stories need to be really exciting, our own versions of water coming out of a rock. But we need, maybe even more, stories that point us to God in the ordinary goodness of life so that we learn to see God in the ordinary goodness of life. So we remember that everything is a gift. So we remember God. So as you gather with family and friends this weekend, take time to be thankful. Tell stories of God's goodness. Maybe, maybe today they're really dramatic stories. That's okay. But maybe you're also just thankful for the things on our Thanksgiving pumpkin. Maybe you're thankful for a steady job, for a furry friend, for a loving family, for a roof over your head, for food on the table, for a God who provides. Give thanks. Remember the gift giver. Remember and do not forget. Would you pray with me? And so, Lord, our God, this morning we give you thanks. We give you thanks for all of the ways in which you bless us. 
through the ordinary goodness of life, for friends and families and warm blankets and good food, for sunshine and for rain, for the ways we experience love. God, help us to remember so that we don't forget. Stir in us a practice of giving thanks regularly and often so that we turn our face towards you again and again and again, for you are the giver of all good things. Go with us and guide us that we may be a thankful people. We praise you, O oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.